Well, last week we started a, a series, I guess you could uh, call it a series, a, a, a couplet, where we talked about love, and we talked about loving one another, loving one another within this, this biblical community, that, that Jesus, when he talks about what it looks like to follow him, and the way that people will identify his followers, he doesn't primarily run to people who know these particular facts or people who have these particular religious behaviors, although those things probably do happen, but he says, I, I love through sacrifice and people who follow me also love one another through sacrifice and, and that's how people are going to know that you're my disciples, is when people who are otherwise different, disconnected, diverse would come together in unity that is centered around love for one another. And so we talked about that. And today, I, I want us to consider the following question. How, now that we've talked about loving one another, how can we love our community well? How can we love our community well? Now I'm making an assumption that, that we ought to love our community. And I hope that's an assumption that we all kind of have. But, but in case there's any question, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, Right, that's, that's in the Bible. And he, he came to redeem his people. He came to be light. He came to love the unlovable. In fact, in Romans, it talks about while we were still yet sinners, while we were still uh, enemies of God, Christ died. He didn't die for us when we were in agreement, but he died for us when we were enemies and he loves our community. Amen. Jesus loves Sterling. Jesus loves Ashburn. He loves McLean. He loves Sterling Park. Jesus loves Herndon. He loves Reston. He loves Percival. He loves Leesburg most, but he loves Percival. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He loves Hamilton. Jesus loves, yeah. Not very many people know about Hamblin, Hamilton. Jesus does. Jesus, and that's all that matters. Don't have to be known by everyone if you're known by Jesus. Jesus loves our community. So let's think, how can we love our community well? God has a lot, of, lot to say about loving our community. Uh, and, and it's funny because the text that we're going to look at doesn't actually talk about specifically the words love your neighbor. But in the New Testament, the command to love your neighbor, and, or, and I'm going to expand it a little bit to include loving your enemy, it occurs at least 10 times. So the phrase love your neighbor is, is repeated nine or ten times, and the phrase love your enemy is in there as well. In Leviticus, so, so as far back as Leviticus, God gives this command to love your neighbor in a way that honors God. And I'll, and I'll turn there real quick. We've, we've heard this before, but it bears repeating. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. We're going to get to the main text in just a quick second. I'm just going to lay some groundwork here. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in Leviticus, the, the idea of neighbor kind of was more insular, and it was more your neighbor among the Israelite people, but Jesus goes, and he explodes that when he talks about the Good Samaritan, and, and someone says, okay, wait, well, who's my neighbor? Is, is it just these people I like? Because I can do that. But Jesus says, you know what? Your neighbor is everyone. And so he says in the New Testament, love your neighbor, and he has a more holistic idea of what that means. So we're called to love our neighbor. And in Matthew, Jesus connects our love for our neighbor with our undivided devotion to God. So 
Again, you don't have to go there, but Matthew 22, he says this. The Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees and they gathered together and one of them, a teacher of law, asked him the question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And, and we studied this a few weeks back and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Or he didn't say that, sorry. While your heart, your soul, and with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. Now, most people would have stopped there and said, okay. But then he goes on and he says, the way that you do that, and a second commandment is like this, you shall love your neighbor as Yourself. So this idea of loving your neighbor is it's prevalent throughout the New Testament. It's something that you and I are responsible to do. It's something that we ought to do as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? The gospel tells us that, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, with, with, which he loved, with, loved us in Christ, uh, he, he saves us, brings us to new life, and as a result of that, there's a responsibility and there ought to be a hunger in our soul to do more than just worship God and kind of have this vertical relationship. We ought to be looking at the, at, at the whole field and saying, you know what, I want to love and embrace these people. Doesn't mean necessarily we agree with everyone, but it does mean that we express love toward them. So, it's not, to, it's not hard to see that we need to love our neighbors, but, but how, how should we go about doing that? Because we could, we could do this and say, love your neighbors, and we all say, yes, I'm going to love my neighbor. Then you go home and you're like, I don't really know how to do that. And then you forget about it or don't do it. And so that's what I think that we're going to see addressed in 1 Peter chapter 3. How should we go about loving our neighbors? So if you can stand with me, we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Now, who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would make us a people who love radically. That we would be committed to loving you with an undivided heart. And our, our commitment and devotion to you would cause us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with a sacrificial, selfless attitude. And Lord God, that we would look and, and see the field, see the, the harvest, see the people who need to know the hope that you give in Christ, and we would love them well, both in deed and in word, that we would not hold back word, that we would testify to your goodness, that we would share what you were doing in our lives, but we would also live in such a way that it would be consistent with the message of Christ. A, a life of love, a life of patience, a life of kindness, a life of, of, of truth. Lord, let us live and let us speak in a way that points to you. Help us to love our neighbors in this way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can sit down. So just some context to talk about this, this little portion of the text that we're looking at. In 1 Peter, 
he's Peter, the apostle, the kind of brash, arrogant at times, Apostle is writing to some Christians who are experiencing persecution. We're not exactly sure what the nature of that persecution is. It's probably pre-governmental persecution, but maybe it's experiencing persecution in their, in their employment, maybe in the social settings. There, there are arenas where, where people are beginning to say, I don't like what you're teaching, and, and I'm going to treat you poorly as a result of it. So there's this persecution that's happening. And so in the first three chapters, he, he lays out a, an idea of who they are in Christ, what Christ has done in creation to, to bring about salvation, to make them a unique people, talking about Christians, not just the Old Testament Israelites, but he uses terminology that, that draws from the Old Testament. And he, he talks about how there are chosen people, a royal priesthood, people of God. And because of that, there's a lifestyle that they should have, one of, of high virtue, of righteousness, of doing good. And so in this, in this section, in verses 13 through 17, he begins to talk about what it looks like to, to live and love your neighbor, love individuals in light of the fact that there are going to be people who don't want to hear what you have to say, who don't love, and in fact might persecute or, or bring suffering. So he gives some direction on how they ought to live in light of this hope that he has. So let, let's look at verse 13 where he starts off. I'm going to read it again. Now, who is there? To harm you if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. And I'll stop there. Peter's making an assumption, and, and we hear this assumption, that, that we ought to be doing good. This Christian life is not just about getting out of hell. And I, I've said this before, but, but your relationship with God and the gospel is not given so that you can just go to heaven. If it were, then, then we would have the situation where, you know, we'd make an altar call, someone would come down, they'd believe in God, and poof, they'd go to heaven. Or, you know, I, there wouldn't be a pastor because the pastor had poof, gone to heaven. <laughs> so somehow they would discern maybe reading their Bible or, or watching a podcast that still exists even though that pastor is long gone. I, I don't know. The point is, that's not how it is. Yeah. We don't need to work out the weirdness of that fictional reality because it is not real. <laughs> what is real is, is that we are called to live and do good. We're called to do good things. We're called to think and be creative about doing good. For most of us, I think it's easy to be creative about the things that we're passionate about. You know, I'm, I'm, I like to think about my, my job and, and how can I make this better? You know, I work for this data center. How can I make all of these computers work better and, and do better? I work for this company. I'm a manager. How can I help these employees know how to handle their life better? I'm a mom. How can I learn how to, you know, keep these kids from hurting themselves and teach them what they need to know and, and not lose my mind in the middle of it? Uh, we want to do better at these things. And, and Peter says, not only do you want to excel in these other areas, but you need to be a people who do good. And, and the exciting thing about the gospel is it frees us to do that. We're no longer doing good for the sake of trying to earn our salvation. We're no longer trying to, to cloy at God and say, God, see what I'm doing? Look at me. Will you, will you accept me? Will you receive me? Instead, instead we're, we're saying, God, you've, you've freed me. You've, you've given me new life. You've accepted me. I can do good. And, and I can be zealous for good in the face of, what does he say? Suffering. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? He's saying, if you're doing good, you shouldn't experience suffering. But then he goes on and he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. And, and he, he might even be thinking back to the, the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus 
is, is preaching and he says, blessed are those who, who uh, are persecuted for my sake. And, and there's this idea that, that when you are doing good in the face of persecution, you will be blessed. That's why Paul says something similar in, in Galatians 6, 9. He says, do not become weary in doing good, but at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Maybe you're here today and you've been trying to do good. You've been walking with the Lord and you haven't seen fruit and you're tired. Maybe you've been trying to do good in your, uh, in your place of business and, and the people around you are just, they're, they're weighing down. It's dark there spiritually. It's difficult. You feel like you're, you're, you're one among a bunch of individuals who don't agree with you. My encouragement is do good and don't give up because you will be blessed. So he says, love your neighbor by doing good. And he encourages us to love our neighbor in this way. He goes on in verses 14b, that's the second portion. He says, have no fear of them, talking about the people who are, are persecuting or causing suffering. Have no fear of them and do not be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So he, he has this dichotomy. He says, on the one hand, this is the kind of disposition and, and kind of heart orientation you can have. It is fearing people and being troubled by them. And we've all been there. Maybe, maybe you're there now. And, and he says, instead of doing that, you want to come over here and you want to what? It doesn't say not fear people. He says, honor God in your hearts as holy. The, the, the fact of the matter is someone is going to have primacy in your heart. Someone is going to have primacy in your heart. And when, when you have this fear, which side was it? This one. <laughs> when you have this fear of man, when I say man and fear of humanity, humankind, then, then humankind has primacy. Humankind become, becomes this kind of dictatorial idol where you're, you're trying to please and you're afraid of not pleasing your employer, your spouse, your friend, your enemy, the people around you, and your life begins to orient around that. But what he says is when you experience that, the solution is not to just, I'm not going to fear people. No, the, the solution is to have something greater to fear. And, and in the same way that the solution to loving sin is not to just abstain from sin, although that's what you need to do. The, the solution to loving sin is to love God more. And so he, he presents this distinction and he says, you cannot fear people and fear God at the same time. You cannot fear people and fear God at the same time. And, and this is what makes us distinct as people in this community, is when people see that you're capable of loving them without being afraid of what they have to say, that's, that's unique. That's radical. Everyone is good at loving other people when it's easy to love them. Everyone is, is capable of saying, hey, that guy's really nice to me. I'm going to be really nice to him. Hey, that lady is super nice. She's really accepting. I'm going to be nice to her. It's really hard to look at someone who says, I disagree with your lifestyle. I disagree with who you are. I disagree with what you say. And I don't even like your face. And for you to love them. That, that is unique. That, that's the thing that transformed Paul's life. 
I mean, imagine being Paul. He hated the church. He seethed with anger. He wanted to see these people dead. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. And what was so transformative to him was the fact that Jesus would come and would save him, and not only save him, but put him into ministry and use him as a tool to reach the Gentiles. And later, later in his life, he's, he's reflecting on that, and he talks about how uh, he's the worst of sinners. He recognizes the, just how terrible he was and the position that he was in, the depravity that he was in to just say, I see what God is doing, and that is evil. And yet God say, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to use you, and I'm going to make you, I'm going to lift you up so that I might be lifted up. He... He was, tra- he was changed and transformed because of this unique love. And so we need to recognize that we, we can't fear people, but the way to get away from that is not to say, well, I'm going to just try really hard not to fear people. It's to say, I'm going to look at God and I'm going to honor him in my heart. And, and it, it says it this way. Um, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord and, and we hear that word Lord and, and we kind of just treat it like a last name for God. You know, Jesus Lord, Eddie Barnes. But, but that's not the way he's using it. He's, he's saying Lord and he means master. So he says, honor Christ, honor the, the chosen one, your master as what? As holy. And the word there, it means set apart. So there are all these things that that are in your heart, your family, your friends, your desires, your community. And he says, you know what? Set apart a place for God. He needs to have the place of primacy. When Christ has the place of primacy, when he can actually be the master of your heart, then you won't fear people. Then you won't struggle with with worrying about what they're going to do to you, what they're going to say to you, how they're going to accept you or reject you. Because you have a greater love. You have a greater master. You have a deeper fear, a greater awe. Honoring Christ in your heart means setting him apart in your heart, giving a place of honor that he deserves. When we do that, we're, we're freed to share our hope with love. You know, I am not an evangelist, and I mean that in the sense that there are individuals who they will go and they will say, hello, my name is so-and-so, and the person will respond, Can you pray with me? I want to get saved. There are people in our church, and I'm exaggerating exaggerating only a a little bit, who they will walk into the mall and just bump into someone that they haven't seen in six months, and, hey man, how are you doing? You know what? My life is in shambles. Can you help me? Yeah, let's pray, and and they just get saved, and they become Billy Graham part two. And it's, that's, that's an evangelist. Then there are some of us who we, we talk to people and, we're, you know, Jesus loves you. And they're like, no, he doesn't. You know, God has done all these things in my life. I don't care. Uh, you know, can I pray with you? No. Okay. And, and, and sometimes that's our experience. But when, when, we, when we have Christ in the place of primacy, we can do this without fear. We, we can talk to people without fear of dying from rejection. I, I feel like I, the air is coming out and, and, and if, I, if I don't, if, I, if they don't say yes, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to fall down and die. Because no longer do we fear man. So he goes on and he says, you know, in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense 
to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. The reality is that loving your neighbor is more than cutting their lawn. It's certainly not less. You know, loving your neighbor is more than, than serving them. It's not less than that. We do need to do these things, but it involves more. It's more than giving them a meal. It's more than inviting them to church. It means sharing the hope that you have. Again, there, there's that bumper sticker that says, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And it should be written, preach the gospel with words because it's necessary. You have to speak. God he has chosen that we use words. That's why we have, we have a Bible. We don't have a videotape of Jesus just doing really nice things. We have a testimony of what God did and what that means for us. And so he says, be ready. But he doesn't just say be ready to, to preach. He doesn't say be ready. You know, make sure you have a tract. Get one of the tracts that explains things. He doesn't say, you know, make sure that you have uh, the Romans road memorized. He doesn't say, make sure you have the two ways to live. These are all evangelistic tools that I'm talking about. Those are good things. But you know what happened is people got saved before those things. And you know how they got saved? They got saved by people saying, this is who I was. This is the power of Christ. This is who I am now. That's, that's... That's what God calls us to do, is sharing the hope that we have. At this point, I want to encourage you, if you're here and you love Jesus, to reflect on the fact that you have hope. Maybe you came here today and you don't feel like you have hope. We, we all kind of go through these valleys at times where we're like, I don't have hope. My life is a mess. I've got bills to pay, I've got kids to feed, I've got a job, I don't have a job. Either way, it's a problem. <laughs> and, and we can be tempted to say, I have no hope. Yes. And, and the gospel, it allows us to do a lot of things. It allows us to cry, it allows us to be mournful, it allows us to weep, it allows us to, to be down. And if you read the, the, the Psalms, you see that, that the psalmist experience a lot of, experiences a lot of pain. But what it doesn't allow us to do is to say, I have no hope. You may not have a lot of things. You may not have all the money you need. You may not have the house you need. You may not have the job you need. You may not have the relationship you need. But if you have Christ, you have hope. And if you don't have Christ, you can have hope. Jesus, he says, come, believe in me. Turn away from your sin. Turn to me. Turn away from your sin means turn away from the things that, that are disobedience to God breaking God's law, and he says, turn to me. Turn to Jesus, trust in what I did in my life, my death, my resurrection, and my obedience. Trust in me to be the thing that, that draws you and, and puts you in right relationship with God. You can have hope. In Christ, we have hope. And, and Peter is calling us to meditate on that hope, to think about the specific nature of that hope in your own life, you know, it is true that we all have hope Jesus died for our sins. Great. What does that actually mean for your life? What were the things that you were hoping in before Jesus? You know, I was really hoping in this relationship with this guy. I was really hoping that, that this would be the thing that would transform my life. I was really hoping in this job, in this career, I was hoping that this would be the thing that would transform my life. I was really hoping in my health. 
I really thought that my body was the thing that ensured that I could have hope in this life. But now, I hope in Jesus. My friends may fail me, my family may fail me, my body may fail me, but I trust in Jesus. You have a hope. It is a specific hope. And it's a hope that your friends, families, employers, employees, McDonald's, person, waitress, waiter, they, they need to hear it. They need to hear about your specific hope. They don't need to hear about my hope. There are people who need to hear about my hope, but there are people in your life who will never listen to me or, or care about what my hope is, and they will listen to you and care about what your hope is. I was, I, I was eating at this new restaurant in uh, Leesburg. It's really good, but I don't want to plug it just because that's weird. Um, but if you ask me afterwards, I will gladly plug it. And... I was eating with my wife and, and kids, and it was really good food, and we were super happy. And one of the one of the guys who was there was talking to us, and I had this notion that I should probably ask to pray for this guy. And I really just wanted to eat my food and and not be seen, and just kind of okay, good, great, awesome. But but he needed hope, and I was there. You know, this is why, this is why Jesus says, don't, don't take your light and put it under a bushel. That makes no sense. We don't get flashlights and then cover them up. That's not super helpful. And so we've been made lights, whether you like it or not, you've been made a light in Christ. People need to hear it. And so we prayed for this guy. It was amazing. Turns out he goes to another church, really good church. And, and we had, I, I was personally encouraged by his testimony. Never would have happened if I had not stepped out in faith. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't preach. I didn't take him through the Romans road. I just said, hey man, I, you know, we, we, we love the Lord and we, we love Jesus Christ. Can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray for? And he was super receptive. I didn't die. <laughs> I did not die. And, and maybe after, after church, you're going to go to lunch and you're going to meet some people who will serve you and, and give you delicious food. Uh, or you'll go home and, and you'll go to work on Monday and you'll, you'll see your coworker and, and you can just say, hey, you know what? God is doing some amazing stuff in my life. And, and I, I just feel prompted. I want to pray for people because I think it helps. I think it matters. I think God listens. Is there anything I can pray for? Just see how God will take your hope and impact the lives of others. Now, the key to this, he says, is, and we're running a little bit late, but I'm going to go through this quickly. He says, yet do it. I love this. Peter, this is Peter talking. He says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And there is no judgment from Peter because he's like I've been there I've, I've cursed out a little you know teenage waitress he says guys the gospel is, is offensive enough within and of itself because it tells us that we're sinners it tells us that we're dependent it tells us that we need a savior who isn't ourself don't make it any harder than it already is be gentle guys you can be gentle men you can be gentle that doesn't mean you need to be weak or wilty. I don't know. I'm trying to think of words. But it means that you look at a person and you recognize where they are and you don't bash them over the head with judgment. Instead, you come as a, as a partner. You're, you're not an adversary, but you're coming alongside them and saying, I've been on your path. Let me tell you something that's changed my life. You can be gentle. And, and you, can be, you can be kind and you can be respectful. That means you don't, you don't tell people 
you're going to hell. It's terrible. I mean, there may be moments where you have to do that, but, but there's a way to do this where you respect the people around you and you respect their personhood. You respect their place of honor if it's your employer. You know, you, you aren't trying to share the gospel around the water cooler instead of doing your job. You aren't trying to uh, pray for your waitress and then not leave a tip. <laughs> Don't be that Christian. Please, please. I go to Sterling, Grace Covenant Sterling. I'm never going. <laughs> and that, I guess that, that leads well into the last part because he says this. He goes on and he says, having a good conscience, you know, you've done it in such a way that you have a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good than it, if it should be God's will than for doing evil. There's, there's a way to do good and there's a way to share in the hope of Christ that honors God and that is consistent Right? If, you, if you're just doing good, but you're never saying anything, that's no hope. You can do that. People can do that. But you, the, the reality is there is a good that needs to be done in the lives of people that is eternal. There's temporal good. Yes, I'm going to feed you a meal. I'm going to give you this. I'm going I'm to meet your, your temporal earthly need. And that's great. But there's, a, there's an eternal need that we all have, and that's to be reconciled to the God to whom we are responsible and so if, we, if there's no, if there's no uh, word, then we're just doing good in, in a very unhelpful way. Now, if it's word, but, but no good works, then we're hypocrites. And, it's, and it's, it doesn't speak highly of God. In fact, it works against what God has to say. Jesus had a lot of things to say about hypocrites, and it, it was not good. And, and if you find yourself in that place, don't, please don't hear me judging you, because I've, I've been a hypocrite. We've all, I think most of us have been in a position where we said one thing but acted a different way. And, and what Peter's saying is, please, work in your life to bring those into alignment. And, and bring them into alignment by taking your actions to your deed, or to your words, not by changing your words to fit your actions, right? Don't create offense, love people, and let God do the hard, hard work. We want to do both good works Good, good words, and we want to do them uh, in Christ, he says. You know, do these good behaviors in Christ. And that means that, that ultimately, you and I, as it was said by, by Jesus, we're loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the way we're doing that is by loving others. They're not disconnected. They're not disconnected. So when we do good works in Christ, we are loving and worshiping God. You have an opportunity on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to love and worship God. And it doesn't have to be with Miata up here leading. It doesn't have to be with us singing songs. It can be you faithfully sharing the hope that you have with the people that God has put in your life. And that reflects the glory of God. Do good in Christ in the face of opposition. Maybe you've experienced it at work. I mean, if you, there, I remember my first job, I, uh, I mentioned that I was Christian. I was working in like a network operation center, so it's this dark room with a big screen, and you're just staring at it, seeing if anything's going wrong, calling people, trying to fix stuff. It was the worst. And, and there was a, a person there, and she really hated the fact that I was a Christian. And 
And it was important that I do good in my job and I share in my testimony in that context. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe you have that neighbor that's just, just tries your patience, you know. What does patience look like? Oh, it looks like me dealing with this person. Maybe it's, maybe it's at the grocery store. You know, we sometimes think there are moments where you cannot be a Christian. I'm at the grocery store. I'm not at church. I'm, I, and then you have this kind of something rises up and you get angry and impatient. We, we, you can't take that Christian hat off as much as you want to. People are watching. Maybe it's on the PTA. You know, school just got back in session. Maybe it's in how you, you deal with the other very opinionated, very focused parents and how you respond to them is a way of showing with deed and with word how much God is good. Guys, our community is in dire need of love. Sterling needs our love. We've been placed here because there's a unique need here. There are so many great churches here. Uh, you know, we've got um, Rest in Bibles here, and we've got um, Riverside, which we've partnered with. They're amazing. Um, and there are, there are any number of churches here that are doing God's work. And yet, we have a unique opportunity here to love our community. And what that means, you know, we can think, oh yes, our church is doing stuff for the community. And, and there's no sort of filling in the blank of what the church is and what the community is. It's just these kind of ambiguous, abstract ideas. No, our church is me and you guys. Like when we say God has called us to do things, that means he's called you in the pew to do, not pew, but you know what I mean, uh, to do stuff. It's a pew because it's Sunday. Just don't tell the, the administration. I don't. Anyways, uh, and, and then our community is not just some sort of, I love our community. That means you have to love people. That means on Monday you have to love the people of Sturgeon. You have to love the people of Leesburg. You have to love the people of, of McLean. You have to love the people of Reston. But, but we have Hamilton. Yes, one of the most well-known cities in our area. <laughs> we have a unique opportunity to, to share the hope that we have in Christ. It's, it's an opportunity and it's a privilege. It feels some, sometimes like an opportunity to go die before a firing squad. But let me encourage you, my friends. God has more for you than living in fear. And when we can step out in faith and, and do this, it will be a blessing to you. It will be a blessing to you. It will be the kind of blessing that you would not otherwise experience. There are blessings that God gives just because he gives them, and there are blessings that God gives because of our obedience. This is one of those blessings that comes as a result of obedience. So who do you need to share the hope that you have with today? Who do you need to share with this week with respect and gentleness? Let's pray. Father God, would you make us people who hold you with honor as holy in our souls, in our hearts? Would you make us the kind of people who give you primacy in such a way that we will stand in the face of rejection, of fear, not even really persecution, but we'll stand up in the, in the face of opposition and we will, we will share the hope that we have. Would you make us the kind of people whose hope and whose, whose words are aligned with our actions? 
that we would be people of good works, that we'd, we'd think creatively about how to, to love our neighbor. We wouldn't just think creatively about how to benefit our own lives, but we'd think creatively about how to benefit, benefit those around us. Lord, I pray that you'd bless every person in this room, that you'd give them a sense of your love, that, that we would be motivated by the fact that you are a loving and gracious God. You're a loving and gracious Father. You're a good daddy. Jesus, you're a good, good Savior. If you're in this room and you have never experienced the hope of God, my encouragement to you is that God says that if we will, Jesus says, if we will repent, turn away from our sin, turn to everything we know to be disobedience toward God and turn to Jesus and trust in him, he is faithful to forgive us. If that's you, just, I want you to raise your hand and I'd love to pray with you. Great, once your hand's up, you can put it back down. Just pray this with me. Jesus, I, I wanna turn away from the things that I've done wrong, everything I know to be sin, and I wanna put my trust and my dependence in you, my Savior. Help me to live in a way that shows that you are great, that you are my King, that you are my God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Family, I love you guys.